You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics, 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. You are listening to your home. Uh, Neil and Bud, uh, the President of the United States is in his office now and would like to say a few words to you. Over. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And as you talk to us from the sea of tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this Earth are truly one. WCBN FM Ann Arbor, keeping Richard Nixon's vision of peace and global unity alive with sounds and music from all the cultures of all the people all over the world. If you hear the uh, like you think the ones on what do you call it, music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music. If we had good music playing for people in the happy society on the streets, you know. I feel like uh, my music, uh, I have a new record coming out. I just feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And congratulations to the Red Wings. I thought that was one of the best first-round matchups that I've seen in quite a while in terms of the competitiveness. I guess it was the first time ever the Red Wings have been involved in four overtimes in one series. And other than game one, I mean, they were all incredibly close. Very energetic uh, series, and uh, it's good to see that the Wings survived the questionable two-game two suspension that Abelkader got because he had emerged as a key player for the Red Wings. And at the end of the day, it was just really Henrik Zetterberg stepped up amazingly well in game six and seven. The play, the play where he pa- made the pass between the legs going full speed was incredible. And then last night, he obviously uh, made several key plays on two of the three goals. So... Yeah, he's a dynamo. It's just his strength. Uh, he can, you know, skate in so strongly, uh, pushing off the other players and set those plays up. Um, whether or not uh, anybody has the uh, firepower to get past Chicago in the West, of course, is the question that remains to be seen. And uh, but just making it uh, into the second round in a year where the really the Red Wings are sort of rebuilding on yeah. the fly. Um, a lot of people had sort of written them off halfway through the shortened season. Uh, ah, they're not even going to make the playoffs. But uh, lot. In, in fact, there were times in the game last night where uh, 
Mike Babcock had uh, five rookies on the ice yeah. at, at once, and that's virtually unseen uh, in the playoffs. And the rookie line... So that bodes well for uh, future years. Yeah, and the rookie front line... Uh, you know, had had some some key uh, plays in the playoffs together, uh, both defensively killing penalties and scoring. I think uh, one of them was an OT goal, and uh, just a quick brain damage award to all of the Jimmy Howard haters out there. Uh, I realized that uh, there was sort of a letdown in one of the games, but everybody was blasting Howard, blaming him for all the goals, and I think that he um, redeemed himself. Quite effectively. I, th- I thought he was spectacular in both games six and seven, and they were obviously both must-wins. Indeed. So, so a couple days off for them and uh, start the second round up on Wednesday, I guess. And let's uh, realize that unless we uh, see the Blackhawks in the uh, Stanley Cup final, this will be the last time we ever play them in the playoffs in the Western right, yeah, Conference. That's right. So, so enjoy that. Chicago, Detroit, I don't think you can b- beat the black and blue division. Yeah. Even when they talk about football, uh, they uh, mention the black and blue division and you know the Bears and the Lions. It's they call it the Norris division. <laughs> Those are usually tough games. Uh, tough games should be an interesting series. Uh, probably at this point, two of the better five teams that are remaining in the playoffs. I, I give the Wings a chance, no question about it. They're playing well. And uh, let's face it, Mike Babcock is just simply a better coach than Joel Quenville. Yeah, that's probably He's had true. trouble over the years uh, against the Red Wings, I seem to remember. Mm. Back in Colorado. <laughs> Some of his other uh, stops along the way in his career. So we'll see what happens. Well, without beating that dead horse anymore, I guess we can bring up the dead horse of Benghazi. What on earth is going on, and why are we having more hearings about this? Um, I'm going to give a brain damage award out to Daryl Issa. He seems to have found a kind of a Whitaker Chambers figure in Christopher Hicks, uh, who's making a bunch of, I don't know, kind of suspicious allegations about a a cover-up. I don't know what the cover-up is. There was a report about what happened at Benghazi, and some people were demoted and fired. And the idea that you're going to summon the military, the uh, you know, the 7th Fleet or whatever we have in the Mediterranean to go deal with some shooting that's going on in um, Benghazi, uh, Libya, strikes me as fanciful nonsense. He says, you're on your own. Well, he lamented, you're on your own. I was like, well, how often do the police, re- I mean, the police can't respond to a shooting while it's in progress. Yeah. I mean, they're summoned, but only Superman is faster than a speeding bullet. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, surprise, surprise. We live in the world that's affected by the consequences of the actions our nation takes. Exactly. So that's what the hearings should be about. There there should be some real hearings about the the policy uh, issues involved with the whole Middle East and what's going on and... I just don't understand that there's there's some sort of a cover-up involving Hillary Clinton or why she would be involved in a, quote, cover-up. Uh, Susan Rice, by the way, was never nominated to be Secretary of State. She withdrew her name from consideration, but it was probably amongst uh, several names under consideration at the time. And 
As Hillary Clinton put it in her own t- testimony, she testified on this issue yet again just a couple of months ago. What difference does it make at the end of the day whether they they were inspired? People are inspired by all sorts of things. I mean, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer might have inspired the terrorists for all we know. It's crazy. Um, and the, the idea that Obama would somehow cover up terrorism, first of all, he used the word in the very next day. That's, that's in the historical record. Mm-hmm. And uh, most presidents want to drum up terrorism as a, as a uh, uh, theme when they're running for re-election, not cover it up. It's, yeah, and what's possibly to be gained in playing it down? It's, it's crazy. It's, uh, I mean, you know, communism, drugs, the drug war, uh, Willie Horton. We've had all sorts of uh, fictitious threats uh, foisted upon the American people in presidential campaigns and congressional campaigns, for that matter. And as for Daryl Issa... Whose fortune, I might add, was uh, was uh, made in the car alarm business. Stand away from the car. Beep, beep, beep. Perimeter violation. <laughs> the ones that go off all the time. It's it's one of the man, most man, man, <laughs> defective products ever made. Yeah, nobody responds to them. When you hear them go off, you look around and say, oh, somebody's alarm went off. Yeah. Nobody's responding. And I think uh, even uh, pressing a cell phone can sometimes... Uh, Activate the Daryl Isa uh, alarm. Uh, he's an idiot. Well, the headlines in the Times and so forth are unfortunately uh, sort of positioning this, uh, and and maybe the Obama administration is playing to the language uh, that's being used to you know describe this. Uh, in, in the press here about a defensive mode, you know, Benghazi emails put White House on the defensive. Uh, you know, if people want to make a big deal out of this, okay, but aren't there other more important things to make a big deal about ongoing? Well, well and they've seen the emails, and let's compare the investigative cover-ups that went on in the 9-11 investigation. Uh, I don't remember any high-ranking Bush officials testifying before any of the investigative bodies except Condoleezza Rice. Right. And then she set the rules, lied through her teeth. Um, she said, oh, I'm only going to answer questions for five minutes. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all you get in terms of your time. And then you could see when they had the televised hearings before the 9-11 Commission, she was uh, stalling for time. Uh, she was going into the Dean Smith four-quarters mode. Hmm. Um, it's, I, I don't get it. I mean, there was a... Attack in Benghazi on September 11th of last year. Our secretary uh, in in Libya was killed, uh, as were some personnel. And the embassy protection issues is is really what's at, at, I think, at the heart of the matter here. And and the the real question is, did Congress... um, withhold funds threaten to withhold funds we're all there are all these funding restrictions going on all this spending that they want to cut that's the real issue uh and was their state department collaboration and saying yeah you can't complain about security because we don't have any we're not getting any more money from congress to defend these embassies i think there should be some questions as to why we even had an embassy in benghazi um it's on the other side of libya and it was not an embassy, by the way. It's a State Department compound. Uh, so 
What does that even mean in the context of, uh, you know, diplomatic residencies and so forth? Yeah, it's sort of like uh, Detroit probably has some State Department facilities that are technically not embassies. They're facilities that accommodate the State Department and its many, many responsibilities involved in what they do, how they function uh, in the government. Uh, let's also remember that, uh, the, you know, this this idea that the, as I say, the, the, this fantasy that's been put forward that the military uh, was unable to respond. Uh, <coughs> okay, they were 600 miles away. Of course they were unable to respond. Uh, how did the military respond on 9-11, for the record? Do we have any uh, investigations into that? I thought the uh, Pentagon was... Uh, was airspace that was supposed to be protected by the U.S. military. I seem to remember that uh, we knew that there was a terrorist attack uh, quite clearly shortly before 9 a.m. on September 11, 2001. Where was the military on that particular day, just out of curiosity? And why isn't Daryl Isaac figuring it out for us? Love to hear some questions from the government oversight committee that he uh, chairs uh, in Congress. Why don't we get some answers on that central question? That's the homeland. Right. Hmm. Yeah, the, the Pentagon itself, you think, uh, well, sh- they got some guns there, right? You'd think so. <laughs> so I had been led to believe. I mean, Yosemite Sam could have uh, possibly come to the rescue. Tootin' and shootin'. Well, of course, there's another big uh, stink of Bruin uh, that has the Obama administration on the defensive, and it's this IRS uh, thing with the Tea Party groups. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, this is kind of bizarre on a couple different levels. First of all, uh, the IRS has apologized to Tea Party groups um, not for uh, scrutinizing their actual audits, but for applications over tax-exempt tax status. Which, of course, Lisa Gilbert, who's Director of Public Citizens Congress Watch Division, says, uh, well, of course, the IRS shouldn't target any uh, particular ideology. Uh, questioning applicants for tax exemption to determine whether they were primarily political was entirely proper and should be more widely pursued. Indeed. Uh, These are groups applying for tax-exempt status, uh, really in violation of the spirit of the tax-exempt group laws, which are specifically carved out in the language uh, to promote social welfare. Uh, And they are not allowed to have the status of tax-exempt if they engage directly in political work. Yes. Which is the very nature of these anti-tax political groups so this is being turned into something really that it's not Uh, this is a close scrutiny of applications for tax-exempt status this is not the irs being used as oh say the nixon administration did to specifically target individuals complicate their lives by frustrating them with superfluous and unnecessary audits uh, simply as a dirty trick from behind the scene. This is just the IRS actually doing its job. Well, and what's interesting about the, the whole controversy is it's ironic that um, Jim Hightower, I get his little newsletter called the Hightower Lowdown. You may recall Jim Hightower uh, used to be a... Uh, 
I think he was the agriculture commissioner in the state of Texas at one time. He had a column in the in May still in the Progressive magazine. Yeah, also. a real uh, enlightened fellow, and I think he's most his most famous quip is uh, something about uh, middle of the road. The only thing in the middle of the road are yellow lines and dead armadillos. <laughs> yes, a witty uh, character. Uh, it's interesting in his most recent May. 2003 column 2013 column excuse me um he writes you may remember creep the committee to reelect the president from the 1972 mcgovern nixon matchup and creepy it was that spring nixon and team orchestrated a secret two-month-long fundraising push that brought in 20 million dollars from corporate executives and other wealthy favor seekers Anybody who wants to be an ambassador must give at least $250,000, Nixon instructed his chief of staff, Bob Haldeman. The money had to be delivered to Creep by midnight of April 7th because a new law would then take effect requiring presidential campaigns to disclose their donors. Money poured in. Just hours before the deadline, for example, Pennzoil Corporation delivered $700,000 in a suitcase to Creep headquarters. This included $100,000 of bundles, checks, and cash from another oil company president who laundered it through a Mexico City bank and had it carried back across the border by a Mexican colleague who drove to Houston and literally dumped the money on the desk of the Pennzoil president, who stuffed it in the suitcase with other money and rushed it to the corporate waiting jet for just-in-time delivery to D.C. Thank God they made it. <laughs> just under the wire. It was before the days of Federal Express. And, of course, Jim Hightower's uh, interesting breakdown on corporate uh, donor giving and what uh, not is startling stuff. How interesting to find out uh, regarding the myth of the corporate later, uh, labor imbalance. And, of course, this is all fundamentally in response to a Citizens United case that quite ironically involves Hillary Clinton, I seem to remember. <clears throat> Citizens United was the one that filed the lawsuit. And, of course, it was decided five to four by the Republicans on the Supreme Court for reasons that are quite clear. Uh, in the last uh, spending uh, election, 2012, uh, corporate donations totaled $2.6 billion. Labor spent $117 million. I did the math. That's a 20 2.2 times ratio. Of course, here in Michigan, we saw plenty of don't let big labor tell you how to vote advertisements. Uh, this is where that money goes. Yeah, and it's it's uh, remarkable stuff. There's lots of nice little pie charts. It shows that um, the super PAC plutocracy involved 13,295 people. But guess what? This is only a tiny sliver. It was actually 159 people that gave over a million dollars cash, uh, or nearly 60% of the so-called super PAC money. This included uh, Sheldon Adelson, who spent $93.3 million on last year's campaign. Much of it on Newt. Yeah, he was the 
dead horse that we were talking about earlier. Flogging the big newt. John McCain was searching for his space helmet and attempted to ride that dead horse, I think, for a little while, but to no avail. Um, Bob Perry uh, recently passed away. He spent $23.5 million. He, by the way, was the main funder of... Uh, Swift Boats United, or whatever they called themselves back in the 2004 campaign. Harold Simmons, another uh, corporate takeover tycoon, he spent $30.9 million. The top executives of America Trade, uh, John Ricketts, $13 million. And super secretive Tennessean William Rose, $12 million. A note on Rose. He's a resident of Knoxville. He created a corporation called the Specialty Group. Last September, a week later, it gave $5.3 million to the super PAC of Freedom Works, a far right-wing political front uh, spawned by the Koch brothers. Curiously, Rose has not been a major donor in the past, nor is he known to have great wealth. Curious here still. His newborn corporation has no offices, no website, and apparently offers no products or services. Oh, you mean it's a dummy corporation? Yeah. Invented exclusively for tax finagling. And of course, the, these guys get to write these donations off. Yeah. And the personal taxes, and that's how you hide wealth. And what a great name, the specialty group. I mean, isn't that special? <laughs> it's probably a church organization. Um. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I think the IRS should be investigating these things. <laughs> I don't know what they're apologizing for. Yeah, exactly. Why apologize for adhering to legal protocol? You know, people apply for this status. You have them fill out the paperwork. You look at the paperwork. That's why you do the paperwork. Of course, everyone complains about government red tape and, you know, duplicate and triplicate and all that. Uh, nobody loves it, but uh, that's the system. That's the game everybody has to play. And, of course, it is arcane stuff. Uh, you know, I know there are these so-called 527 groups, and this, this whole debate about these uh, uh, groups is, is called Section 501C. Right. Paragraph 4, or whatever it's called, Section 4. Mm -hmm. And that's what's at, at the heart of the matter. And uh, sc scrutinizing what some of these groups are doing strikes me as fairly reasonable, uh, particularly since there's been an explosion of uh, fundraising uh, by uh, these uh, murky uh, conglomerations of uh, the sort of the military corporate uh, industrial congressional complex uh, that seems to have a major impact on our elections. Yeah, and there's been also a surge in, uh, and that's the actual phrase used by Jonathan Weissman in his article in Saturday's New York Times, a surge in the number of applications for this uh, 501c4 uh, tax-exempt status. They doubled over a two-year span. Chamber of Commerce, by the way, just for the record, they spent $36 million in the last presidential election targeting, <clears throat> surprise, surprise, Democrats. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, uh, this whole mess is only going to get worse uh that's what the congress should be looking at <laughs> if they wish to conduct investigations well i think that their uh agenda is uh 
not necessarily in the best interests of social welfare. Wow, that's got the word social in it. That must be socialism. That can't be good. Uh, elections in Pakistan. Well, very interesting there. Uh, we have the return of the uh, previous prime minister, uh, the cricketer, uh, Mr. Khan, fell off the stage. Probably didn't help his uh, situation much down the stretch there, but... Uh, Kind of interesting analysis that I heard uh, the last couple nights on the BBC about this whole development uh, regarding uh, the um, main theory or the main impetus that this election is going to bring about, which is uh, apparently direct negotiations between Pakistan and uh, India about Afghanistan. (laughs) So I guess we'll wait and see. I think that... uh, it's probably an agenda that John Kerry uh, is in favor of. Uh, he seems to be doing an interesting job over the last couple of weeks trying to get more direct negotiations going on, for instance, on the uh, Palestinian-Israeli situation and certainly with uh, Russia and the situation in Syria. Yeah, it was uh, a little bizarre to note that the uh, New York Times' uh, reporter in Pakistan was actually kicked out of the country 72 hours before the election. And uh, also interesting to note that this is actually the first election in the history of Pakistan in which one elected civilian government uh, completes its term and hands over power to another elected government. Yeah, there have been mostly military takeovers or political assassinations uh i wonder if daryl isa might be interested in investigating the killing of uh the american uh ambassador to pakistan who died on the airplane crash allegedly it was shot down possibly with an american stinger missile in which zia ul haq died back in 1988 uh government operations oversight committee Hmm. Put that on your agenda. Might want to look into it, but uh, don't count on it. Uh, speaking of another interesting thing, it's rare that I <laughs> mention an, an advertisement, but this is for a uh, legitimate uh, non-commercial entity called the Museum in Washington, D.C., and it is honoring uh, journalists that have fallen today, 84 journalists in 25 countries, have been killed uh, in the past year, and the memorial in Washington bears the names of 2,246 people who have died reporting news since 1837. Uh, If you're doing some sightseeing this summer, maybe this is a place to check out. But I thought what was interesting, they have the photographs of many of these 84, and it is amazing how many of them are are uh, died in Syria because it points mm-hmm. out that uh, some of the journalists die just taking uh, calculated risks, quote unquote, and others are actually targeted by uh, state entities, paramilitary groups, gangsters, you name it. Um, and it's fascinating to see the number of journalists killed in Syria, at least 22, and interestingly, Somalia. Uh, kind of finished second, and quite a number in Indonesia. 
So uh, that's, I think, an interesting fact that we always need to remember that just last year, 84 journalists died covering the news around the globe, and uh, most of them died in Syria. And uh, without those, uh, you know, eyes on the ground, uh, you don't really know what's going on there. So when you uh, lose a journalist in uh, a hot spot like that, obviously it's a, a personal and family tragedy on one level, but uh, the world is cut off from access to information. Pakistan's record, by the way, uh, is noted here. Um, 23 murders of journalists over the past decade mm -hmm. uh, in Pakistan. Uh, not a single prosecution. So, Yeah, and that Pakistan is obviously still a cauldron. Um, I know that the new president-elect, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, um, he was... Uh, he was deposed, essentially, by uh, Musharraf um, back in uh, the late 90s, as I recall. Um, General Musharraf, who seems to be under some sort of investigation. Uh, the the Bhutu uh, clan, for what it's worth, they seem to have finished third in these elections. So that's interesting. Uh just wanted to remind you that you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Of course, we'd like to thank Andrew for engineering once again. And Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. And by the way, tomorrow the summer schedule comes out. So uh, I think there may be some minor changes here and there in the summer schedule as many of our students are gone for the summer. So... Uh, Look for a new program guide coming up soon, but many of your favorite shows will still be on in their usual spots. I guarantee it. And, of course, if you're uh, new to the Ann Arbor area, these are the, the golden days here. Summer in Ann Arbor, quite nice. There'll be uh, lots of activities and events, uh, some of which are uh, involving WCBN. We've got a free movie night uh, once a month on Wednesdays, and uh, there's concerts. And, of course, eventually there'll be movies outdoors now that the weather's nicer. Uh, and these are all nice things about Ann Arbor in the summer. Just another little tidbit from the Jim Hightower newsletter called the Hightower Lowdown. You can probably find this uh, at that website, I'm guessing. Um Oh, okay, yeah, uh, our engineer is uh, telling us that we have just a couple of minutes to uh, wrap it up here. But it's interesting, of course, you know, the Koch brothers were mentioned in, in part of this dark money, the shell game, the corporations, the dummy corporations, etc. Crossroads GPS, Carl Rove's network, spent uh, almost $71 million in the last uh, election cycle backed Republicans, needless to say. The Koch brothers, America, Americans for Prosperity, uh, they uh, dumped almost $40 million into the cycle. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, fronted by anonymous politicking by brand names such as Exxon Mobile, Mobile spent $36 million. America's uh, Future Fund, a network of corporate funders and former Romney operatives backed by millions of dollars from the Koch brothers' Center for Patient Rights. <laughs> because they care. They care. Uh, $25.6 million 
and Americans for Job Security. Hmm. Uh, funded by insurance 